Okay, welcome to the fourth week of the regular season episode of Under the Dome. I'm your host, Alan Ulrich. I'm here with my partner, Sean Williams, and we are here not to praise the saints and not quite to bury them, but after that defensive performance yesterday, last night, I thought it was only fitting that we uh, address the decline of the Saints in a proper format. How are you doing tonight, Mr. Sean? <laughs> you have reached the Huda Nation crisis line. If you are on top of a tall building, press one. If you are thinking you- of drink, drinking heavily, go ahead. It's, it's advisable. Fat, drunk, and stupid may not get you through life, but it will help you become a defensive lineman for the Saints. Um, okay, we, we've had enough here. It's not quite that bad. That's not the end of the season yet, but... Well, brother... Uh, last, night, last night, we were begging for the mercy rule. Yeah. Um, it, it makes you appreciate... Uh, in high school, when they run the clock after halftime. No. Uh, but you know, I've been I've been on that end. I've been on the good end, and I've been on the bad end. So. Sure. Well, you know, you got to look at it for what it is. Uh, in all honesty and seriousness, it is what it is. We started a game seven starters down. The uh, and the vast majority of those, without getting into the individual breakdown of it. The vast majority of those starters were on the defensive side of the ball, and when the game started and began to progress into it, that is, I mean, you got out what you put in. Uh, You had guys, uh, most notably your cornerback, Ken Crawley, that didn't do a bad job, in all honesty, uh, but you know, players remember here, in my opinion, um, the thing to remember here is that undrafted free agents are undrafted free agents for a reason. Drafted players on your roster are there for a reason. You draft them for a reason. You choose not to draft others for a reason. All that being said, uh, I I believe it was our buddy Andrew Juge that tweeted out earlier, uh, maybe this week, maybe last week, of our original, um, <clears throat> excuse me, of our original uh, camp uh chart going depth chart depth chart uh depth yeah thank you (laughs) not death chart yeah not death chart yeah depth chart yeah our our original depth chart from training camp as far as cornerbacks go we're down to the number six and seven Mm -hmm. and and that's a that's a microcosm of what this defense has become you're not you're without sheldon rankins you're and for last night you're without Tyler Davidson, you're without Danelle Ellerby, you're in the list, uh, J- 
just goes on and on and on. Your your defense is basic hospital ward. And with given the parity in this league right now, with any given team at any on any given week, uh, of that happening, of what happened last night happening in that situation, I make no excuses. Atlanta put together an excellent game plan and executed it nearly perfectly. Yeah, and I I give them all the credit in the world. And anyone who knows me knows just exactly how difficult those words were coming out of my mouth. But the, the fact still remains. Be it because of injuries, be it because of whatever, the New Orleans Saints are not a really good team right now. Now, where that goes from this point moving forward remains to be seen. Well, you know, here, first off, let's get the appropriate music in the background when we talk about this. First off, you're missing your five, your, your top five defensive backs here. You, when you started the year off, you had you, – you were planning on having Bro, Keenan Lewis, you know, Kyle Wilson, P.J. Williams, Damian Swan. That was supposed to be your top five. Two are gone to IR, one has a broken leg, one can't get healthy, so he got, you know, he got released, and, you know, so now you pulled in undrafted free agents because, and people are like, well, wait a minute, we're well, supposed to have depth, okay, five to six cornerbacks is normal, so how the hell are you supposed to have, like, 13 cornerbacks, you're just not supposed to have that many, so it's, it's, Okay. I just don't want to get to the actual lyrics of the song. We didn't want really to go into that. Suicide is painless. We don't need to send them any more, any more notes. But um, anyway, you know, yeah, yeah. So your top five cornerbacks that you had planned on going to the season are gone. You lose Tyler Davidson for the game. You know, that's your best run defender. You lose Sheldon Rankins, your number one draft pick. You lose Danielle Ellaby, probably your fastest linebacker out there. You know, so and you still don't have a defensive end to complement uh, Cameron Jordan. You're not seeing much of anything out of um, Kruger. Oh, Kruger, Paul Kruger, Paul Freddie Kruger. You're not seeing much of him. Uh, he, I watched him a lot, and it's like he's almost there, but he doesn't quite get there. He doesn't get off of blocks very easily. He He's not very quick to the quarterback. And it, you know, that's that's what you've got to work with. So without those players involved, Kenny Vaccaro, we didn't mention him, not that play, and he's probably one of your better run defenders in the league. So, you know, these guys aren't there. It's not an excuse. It's a reality. You know Exactly. It's you're pulling in guys that teams have let go. You're pulling in guys off the street to try and act as depth because you're going down to your fifth and sixth guy, and you just don't have enough people. And it's the same problem we had last year. It's the same problem we had in 2014. And every team, I get this. Every team goes through injuries. Every team loses critical players. Okay, I get that. Right. The difference is with the Saints. You don't have the depth because you've blown so many draft uh, draft picks. You don't have the depth because you didn't draft enough players. 
This New England Patriots drafted nine guys in 2016. And Saints drafted five. Okay. They were already short one draft pickers or trade previously. Then they moved up in the draft to grab players. They're good players, but they've moved up to go get them. So that costs them even more draft picks. So your margin of error now of a guy not working out gets smaller and smaller. That's how you end up with only one guy making it from the 2014 draft. That's how you make you only have two guys from the 2011 draft. You know, all those players that you could have drafted had you had the picks or had you made the right picks are gone. So you're now relying on undrafted free agents, free agents that you pay a lot of money for, more money than another team would probably pay because you're trying to get those guys to come over because you're desperate for bodies. You know, that all factors into it. So what does Atlanta do? Atlanta looks at the film and says, you know what we're going to do? Because they don't have enough people out there to rotate uh, and keep people fresh, we're going to stretch them horizontally, and then we're going to attack them vertically with the run and the pass. We're going to, And you saw that. You saw the moving pocket with Matt Ryan. He threw across the field to his running back, taking advantage of the lack of speed that we have on the outside on, with our linebackers. Um, and then they attacked him vertically with quick-hitting running game uh, and quick passes. You know, Ryan was in the shotgun. One, two, three, he's getting rid of it. He's getting behind it because we have we don't have a pass rusher. We don't have a J.J. Watt. We don't have an elite pass rushing end. We have to blitz now to generate a pass rush. He's getting players behind the linebackers. The safeties are playing cover two. Cornerbacks are running deep. There's a lot of green space, okay? And that's what they did to us. And when you do that kind of stuff, you're going to end up with a game like that. Um, you know, the, the on the offensive side with the Saints, we were answering them pretty much early in the game. The problem we got into is the same thing that happens when you're a bad team. If you're not executing perfectly every single play, somebody drops a pass, somebody commits a holding penalty, we give up a sack, we're now behind the down and distance. That's how we ended up falling behind so quickly because – Atlanta never got behind on a down distance. They are moving down and they are scoring every time. We can't keep up. We, they did to us what we normally do to them. So as Alan, good Alan, as – what? We're not even on, man. We're not on. I show that we're on. Uh, I, see, I see live. I, and I, I'm, I'm, t- I'm talking about on the viewing, viewing thing. Two people are watching us right now. The viewing link that we posted is not, I mean, can you see that? Yeah, I see that. Pinto is, uh, John is telling me that they're standing by uh, technical difficulties. I don't, I don't know what the, the malfunction is with the viewing link. Um, I tell you what. Due to, uh, due to technical difficulties, what we're going to do, if this works out with you, my, my friend, uh, we're just mm-hmm. going to go ahead and we're going to finish the show. And once it's over, we, we apologize to anyone who's been inconvenienced or what have you. And we'll post the, uh, the replay link for them. But we'll, okay. and since we've got everything going and set up now, 
uh, we're just we're going to go ahead and finish the show. So what what do you want to do? You just want to keep going? Sure. Yeah. Or I, I you want to just keep going? We're doing. No, no, no. That's fine. I was on a, I was on a roll, but uh, that's okay. What I uh, what I yeah, what I, I pointed out to you earlier about the uh, the Taz test thing mm -hmm. that link that uh, viewing link. It, it's uh, it's not it's offline. So uh, what we're gonna do? We're just gonna go ahead and continue, and we're gonna complete our show. And when we're done, we'll post the uh, the viewing link afterwards, and we'll make our apologies and. Uh, to anyone that's okay. watching, we apologize for the, uh, the the difficulties that we're having. We've had a, a mix-up in our our technology somewhere along the way. Well, it wouldn't be a podcast. We didn't have a mix-up somehow. I have TV. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway. Okay. Getting back. I, I apologize well, for interrupting. No, that's okay. I mean, I, I see two viewers, and that's it. Uh, I don't know what's going on, and... I'll, we'll find out. But um, anyway, let's just well, say, you know, for those two viewers, we're going to continue. Absolutely. Um, anyway, what I was going to say was, you know, as far as the offense was concerned, you know, the problem we ran into on offense is that we would get behind the down and distance and Atlanta never got behind it down and distance. And it came from, you know, Fleener dropping a couple passes from cadet, not getting, you know, outside quick enough or whatever it may be. You know, we just were not – we fell behind 28-14. Um, there was a point in the game, um, a critical point in the game, where we could have done something. It was 21-14 Atlanta. We had them backed up on third down, and the defense just did not get off the field. Atlanta went down, scored a touchdown on that, that drive, and we had – instead of having a minute something – left to possibly tie the game make it make it 21 all we end up having to have only like 28 seconds left and we kick a long field goal to make it 28 17 atlanta gets the ball in the second half they go right down the field score 35 and you know how it went from there um you know we closest we got i think at one point it was 35 25, and then Atlanta kicked the field goal to make it 38-25, and we never could get back into the game from that point on. Um, and, you know, as good as the offense looked when we moved the ball, because quite frankly, I think Atlanta still can't stop the draw. Um, you know, the defense really hurt us in this game, and it didn't matter if we owned the time of possession because our defense could not get off the field at all. I think Atlanta punted two times the whole game, maybe once the whole game. And that was the, you know, I don't know what Harris was thinking, but that was the muff punt because, you know, he ran into the guy. So it, it, it was an ugly night all the way around. Um, there's no other way to put it. Did it appear to you at all that uh, Tommy Lee Lewis was blocked into that? Mm -hmm. No, Harris was. I, I couldn't see, or that's what I meant. Harris into the uh, the punt. Oh yeah, but it, he threw him into him. Basically, he he, he got underneath his pads and pushed him into him, which was what you're supposed to do. I mean, the guy's right there, so let me go ahead and go there and risk a muff. There's nothing illegal about that. Um, you're, you're blocking the guy, you know. 
the, the problem is Harris shouldn't have ever been there. Harris should have broke off the block, got off the block, and let it go. You know, he had already signaled fair catch. Let it go. You, you can't – there's nothing good can come out of that. Then you compound the mistake by trying to pick it up and run with it when there's three Falcons around you instead of just falling down and getting in the fetal position if you're going to go ahead and touch it. Yeah. You know, it would be better if you hope that nobody touched it and just leave it, get away from it. Yeah. You're a smarter player doing that. And it's just that that that's just the kind of mistakes you can't have. And it's kind of it's kind of ironic that ten years ago the rebirth was spawned at um and, you know, Atlanta knew that. Yeah, that was punt, on a punt play and yeah. then ten years later the demise of our organization apparently <laughs> is spawned off of the same special teams play. Well, I have no doubt Atlanta was sick and tired of hearing about Steve Leeson, sick and tired of seeing the block punt, sick and tired of seeing the replay with um, Michael Marty. You know, they were just tired of it, so they were more than happy to bury the Saints. That's what they wanted to do last night. They wanted to bury the Saints, bury that story. They don't even want to hear about it anymore. And... And the only thing we can do is, that's not is even, hopefully that's not even to mention the hatred and bad blood being Saints Falcons to begin with. Yeah. But that was that that was all about just sure. putting an end to it once and for all. And what yeah. better way to do it on Monday Night Football in front of the whole country so everyone can see the Saints ain't all that. You know. And if the Falcons win three games the rest of the year, they can all they can brag about is they put an end to that. And it is what it is. It's just like when the Falcons on Thursday Night Football put an end to the Saints. I mean, Drew Brees' consecutive games with a touchdown pass back in 2012. It was something they can hang their hat on. It's what you do when you never won. When you don't yeah. win as an organization, that's the kind of stuff that you can celebrate. Yeah, um, yeah. And I'm not saying this as a bitter Saints fan. Yeah, right. Uh, but <laughs> it's it is. It, it, you take these moral victories, and the moral victory is, you know, they they had to put an end to the one thing that the Saints could hold over their heads the whole time, and that was the rebirth. They got to look at that damn statue. They got to look at all hear it all the time. They're sick of hearing it. So that was why they did what they did. You could see it in that thumb they have for a head coach, his little face, every time they did something, he was pumped up. He wanted to bury the Saints. So you know what? When we play Atlanta at the end of the season, hopefully everybody's healthy. I want to hang 62 points on their ass. I want to hang – That's right. I just, you know, revenge is sweet. Let's punch them in the mouth because you know there will be about 12 Falcon fans there in the stands. You know, then – It'll be it'll be a a ninth home game for us, you know, because there'll be more Saints fans and Falcon fans like there usually are. Um, Get your inhaler, man. Get your inhaler. Oh, it'd be a good way to close out. They they go to the uh, they go to uh, Megatron's Butthole Stadium, um, you know, next year. So it'll be a great way. Poor Josh is going to see this stuff and he's going to go, man. These guys (laughs) were so nice to me. That Saturday night, look how they really are when they lose. But it'd be a great way to close out the Georgia Dome. A good old-fashioned butt whooping 
right there in the Georgia Dome, their last home game, just totally destroy and, and embarrass them. And then take pictures on their, you know, on their center logo. But anyway, that's a fantasy for another time. Cut it out. Yeah. Cut another it out fa- bring it home. That's right. <laughs> okay. Do you have uh do you have any players of the game from the, the game last night? <laughs> um, you know, I'm gonna give credit to Craig Robinson. You know, he is obviously as much as we are ripping on the Saints for bad free agent pickups and you know dead money and stuff like that. Craig Robinson obviously was a great pickup for the Saints. Um, Absolutely. He ran his butt off all night last night. He It seemed like he was the only one making any tackles. Uh, people wondering why Craig, uh, you know, Stephon Anthony's not out there more. He did play a lot last night. But why he's not out there more, quite frankly, at this point in Stephon Anthony's career, Robinson's the better player. You need to have Robinson out as much as you can. Okay, and Laurinaitis is the more experienced player. Anthony is on what I call the Mark Fields learning curve. Mark Fields, when he was drafted back in 1995, could run like a deer, hit like a Mack truck, but he didn't understand everything that the defense was asking him to do. And you could see that again last night, just like I saw it last year. It just was more pronounced last night where he would get sucked in on misdirection plays. He would get – he – there was a fourth down play. It was fourth and one. The Falcons ran a bootleg. Ryan rolls out. And Anthony was caught in no man's land. Should he stay with his, his guy, which was a running back, swinging out the backfield? Or should he try and go get Ryan real quick? We should have left Ryan alone. You know, let Ryan run. Somebody else's job is the defensive end of somebody else's job is to go get him. Your job is to go get the back. Because what happened was he went on a gut instinct, went after Ryan. Ryan just loops it over his head, and there's nobody for 25 yards downfield in that fourth and one play. And they get down and and basically put the game away right there. Um, You know, it's – it's those kind of plays. He did that against Washington. I saw him do it against Tennessee last year. You know, he did he did it in Philadelphia. I saw those a few times. Okay. And that's he just needs to become more instinctive like Craig Robinson. So I, this isn't a dump on Stephon Anthony. It's just why Craig Robinson is the better linebacker right now. And as soon as we get Danella Ellaby out there to help him out, the better the defense will be. Anthony will be better later on. We just need to be patient with him. He needs to learn more and understand what he is seeing and trust what he is seeing. But uh, that's my player is, is Craig Robinson. How okay. about yours? On, on defense, uh, after much deliberation, I think I'm going to go with Jairus Bird. Oh, I just did that kid. to see the veins in your forehead. Uh, no. Yeah, he's going to sit down and come get that award. He took a nice sit down right at the end of the game. I think Jairus Bird needs to be on the same team with Johnny Manziel. Uh, my <sighs> defensive player of the game is Nick Fairley. Yeah. The only thing that I saw out of Nick Fairley, the only thing, more thing, whatever, let me start over. The only thing that I would have loved to have seen more out of Nick Fairley last night 
was if Matt Ryan had actually set up to make that lead block on that uh, cutback when he saw Fairley coming. That's all to, to pull a hokey guy, Johnism. That's a uh, rooster meeting a Ford. If he would have tried to make that tackle, uh, John Gruden pointed out that uh, Matt Ryan is from Boston College. Pretty sharp guy. He did the math on that real quick, and he uh, he sat down and let the play go by him. But um, fairly had a, I I want to say seven tackles last night, uh, a sack and a half in the game. And if you mm-hmm. think about it, with the uh, with the loss of Rankins in training camp, fairly has stepped up. What in my opinion would be farther than any expectations anyone had of him coming your, um, right now he's your he's your best three technique tackle you've got on the field um nobody absolutely. can even come close uh when he and Tyler Davidson are together that's a good rotation and that's a good matchup when you get Rankins in there it's gonna be a great rotation because I think fairly um he can't be overused and he got overused last night and that's why you saw towards the end it was he was struggling a little bit more. Um, it's not negative, but I, I, I want to keep him around next year. Uh, I'm not suggesting you sure. give him a five-year deal or anything like that, but I think a good three-year heavily heavy incentive deal. He's proven his worth to stay with this team and to stay in a rotation system with Rankins um, because he, he is. He's one of the – He's probably your best defensive tackle on the team right now. And that's not a knock on Tyler Davidson. It's just uh, Davidson's clearly a two-down player where Fairley is a three-down player. Well, I, that, I, That's all. I, I think that the experience factor comes in on that. Fairley's uh, far more experienced. Well, Fairley was a first-round draft pick. I mean, it, there's a reason why he was a first-round draft pick. Um, you know, he has and, and the I'll raw talent. I'll be honest with you. When the Saints signed him, I, I, I had a headache that day. After that, <laughs> I hated the guy because when he was at Auburn, I considered him without a doubt the absolute dirtiest player in the NCAA. And my opinion of him didn't improve a whole lot when he went to uh, Detroit. From well, what who I was saw next to him? Well, yeah, uh, dirty breeds dirty. Um, well. You know, I, I I thought he was a little overrated coming out of college, you know, and, and I'm not running the man down. Um, I just thought that he had certain motivational issues. Uh, and then he got the hurt foot and so forth. But he, he seemed to turn it on and turn it off too easily early in his career. And that's okay at Auburn. You can take a couple plays off in Auburn because you're surrounded by players generally who are better than the the other team you're playing against, even the SEC. Uh, It's like I used to say, when you're in high school, you might be the best player in the field. When you're in college, there might be three or four guys who are the best players in the field. When you get to the NFL, they're all the best players in the field. That's why when you take plays off or when you don't go full, full effort, every down, um, it, it, you, it, gets, it gets exposed. And you saw, you see that with John Jenkins. Um, John Jenkins, um, part of the reason his problem with the team 
um, is he he has no stamina. He's good for about 10 to 12 plays, maybe. Um, and he just – George, you can get away with that, but you couldn't. You can't get away with that in the NFL. You have to put, bring it every week and go full effort. So, uh, yeah, I, I like you can't, fairly – you can't, you can't, uh, you can't put forth the kind of effort that you need in the NFL, being an every play player when you weigh uh, three and a half hundred pounds. No, and, and Jenkins, uh, this was two years ago, but it's still, it's still the case when he gets tired. Jenkins doesn't get down low enough. He, he, once he starts getting tired, he bends about halfway. And they get under his pads and stand him up, and all his weight and all his strength are negated because he doesn't get yeah. down underneath the pads. Um, you know, Absolutely. someone like that needs to be, a, you know, a hedgehog, or, or you know, he has to get down to the ground and stand people up. That's what Reggie White used to do. Reggie White would do that yeah. hump move. Reggie White would, or ju- uh, Jumpy Gathers too, he used to call the human forklift, where he would grab a guy. Get him underneath the arms, underneath the shoulder pads, right here, you know, right here, and just pick you up and carry you to the quarterback and throw you at the quarterback. Uh, that was Jumpy Gathers' human forklift move. So, uh, anybody that helmet in the city. Anybody that wants to see a, a, an illustration of that, pull up the Green Bay Packers Super Bowl game against the New England Patriots in the Superdome. Oh, Reggie's hump move? Absolutely. I'll go dig up the 1992, um, 1992 Saints versus Eagles playoff game when Bobby Abair gets tackled for a safety. Watch what happens to Stan Brock. Stan Brock gets with one arm now. Reggie White does his one arm, picks up Stan Brock with one arm and flings him in the air. And you see him fall down next to Bobby Abair. Abair looks down for a second, and next at Stan Brock laying at his feet. And next thing you know, here comes Reggie White, big arms and all, brings Abair down for a safety. It was, and that happened right in front of me too. Um, you know that 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 was just an unbelievable play. But uh, okay, um, who, who you got on offense? Oh, offense on, uh, you know, Drew Brees is too obvious. Um. And Fleener had a good game. I have to give him that. But, you know, I don't know. Ingram had, you know, good runs. Um, I don't know who to give this to. Um, Michael Thomas, I guess. I, I, I might give it to Michael Thomas. Not because he made spectacular plays. It, it's just when that man... And he did cause the the pick six, too. But um, when that man catches the ball, he does a textbook where he just snatches that ball out of the air. And when it all comes together for him, which is slowly happening, you can see it each time. When when it all comes together for him, he is going to be unstoppable. He will be a pro bowler. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm leaning towards Michael Thomas right now. Okay. I, I gave some thought to Michael Thomas. I gave some thought to uh, Tommy Lee Lewis um, and Ingram. But I, I'm going to give it to the guys up front. 
No one in particular, just as a, a group. Um, as far down as that unit was week one to to have consistently performed the way that they have over the, the past three weeks and uh, to allow Breeze to do what he did last night, I think that's huge. Jari, Zach, um, even Pete. Yeah, I'll throw Pete in there. Uh, and Kilimit, uh Lolito, they played their roles. Uh, they didn't set the world on fire by any means. But all of that, um, of of them all, probably the, the most um, consistent performer thus far has been Max Onger. Uh, and like I said, to be as maligned as they were coming out of camp, for them to have consistently performed the way that they have, I, I think that's amazing. Well, you know, you're not hearing uh, you're not hearing anything about Streif this year so far. Streif hasn't had the, that horrible game against the speed rusher and looked old. And Jari Evans, you know, looks like he, he's not the all-pro player he used to be, but he's not a liability out there. I mean, the only liability out there, honestly, and this was yesterday, uh, was – the Calamente Lolito swinging gate door that they have there right now where they kept alternating the two. Um, you know, a lot of those passes that were getting knocked down, they were coming from that side. Uh, you know, Pete did give up a sack. He got beat one time. Um, oh, God, but, did he? But, you know, at the same time, here he is once again playing left tackle, you know, left guard right guard, you know, he's been all over the field. Um, he didn't play horribly, but he's not – he played like a guy who doesn't only play left tackle, you know, even though he's a traditional left tackle. So, uh, again, he's somebody that he's going to develop, but he's not He's not Willie Rofe. He's not Tyrone Armstead. He, but he's not um, – Oh, what was his name? I used to call him uh, Daryl Turnstile Terrell. He's not Daryl Terrell. You know, uh, he's not that bad. He just, for a first-round draft pick, he's disappointing. But as an offensive lineman, he's not horrible. He's just capable. He's been a viable And, and that sounds – well, I mean, he – when he gets put between Unger and Armstead and Armstead's playing well, he's an asset. You know, you run behind his side, he can get to the second level and hit somebody. You know, he's sure. not a liability uh, compared to the other guys they have there. But he's not He's not a, a, a playing to the level of the 13th pick of the draft in the first round. He is not playing that kind of level. He's not Michael Orr. He is not Willie Rove. He is not um, – oh, name almost any top offensive lineman that's come out in the draft. Uh, Larry Allen, you know, he's not that kind of player. Uh, yeah. He just – he's not as bad as – I forgot the – Robert Gallery. He's not as bad as him, who was the number two overall pick. But he's – if you would have taken him in the second or third round, you wouldn't be upset with him. It, people are upset yeah. with him because he was taking 13th overall, and that's – that will be his – that's his legacy, unfortunately. He, you have to be a Hall of Fame caliber 
left tackle or right tackle if you're taking that high in the draft. Uh, and that's just the way it is. All right. And that takes us um, that takes us into our question of the week. Uh, okay. Now this is going to be fun. We get this from a Carolina Panther fan. One of our sponsors, Mr. Anthony Dunn, uh, he said. No, he's not somebody who fell off the bandwagon yet? Uh, no, not. Uh, I haven't. Uh, I haven't been able to talk to him just yet. But uh, he said, at any point, did you consider onside kicking after a score in hopes of A, getting the ball back, B, knowing your defense couldn't stop them on either their 25 or your 40, or C, to also get your offense back on the field faster? Um, you know, in retrospect, probably that was a good idea to do an onside kick, I think, um, because of those reasons he, he named. Your defense is struggling. You want to get your offense back on the field. You want to get down there faster, all that stuff. But I can see also the logic behind it. They're expecting an onside kick. You have a great chance to pin these guys deep. And if you get a stop, which you had in all game, but if you could get one stop, You've got an opportunity to get the ball in better field position. Whereas, if you don't if you don't recover the onside kick, um, it's uh, Atlanta has the ball about midfield, and they're going to score and put it away. Um, you're kind of in no man's land on that. Um, you know, it's risky. Peyton would have gone ahead and done that, but I think he was a little more conservative because he had seen how this game was going. Um, and he felt like Atlanta's defense couldn't stop him anyway, so might as well try and pin him deep and hopefully get a stop. I, I You know, it, it's one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't decisions. Atlanta was expecting it. You could see it in their formation. There was only one guy back to return it deep. You know, so I, – and I think he thought he had enough time to get something going. Um, that I well, think if you if you look at it, and there's a lot of people that have called me overly optimistic when I make this comment, but up until the pick six, the Saints were still squarely in the game. Albeit they were behind, but they were they were making some progress. I, I feel like they were making progress. They were getting the ball down the field. All they needed was one stop and then take it down, put it in the end zone. And it's a completely new ball game. You're within one score and then see what happens. And the longer that the game goes, you know, you, as a, a friend of mine says, they suck us in just to break our legs off out from under us. Um, yes. When the pick six happened, up until that point, I, I thought that the game was still, uh, was still being fought for. And I'm not sure to to answer Tony's question a little. Sir, um, I'm not sure that an onside kick would have worked that well because, like you say, I could see that there after halftime their receiving team was switching out their special teams on that front line, putting mm -hmm. separate putting uh, several different guys in. Uh, from what it looked like, now I, I can't verify that by any stretch, uh, but. If it would have been more of a surprise onside, I think 
Peyton would have done it. Um, it a good time to do an onside kick probably would have been to begin the second half, actually. You know, another ambush yeah. play. Come out, come out in the second half and run an onside kick just to see what the hell happens. Um, you know, at the point of the yeah. game where they were expecting it, it's a lot harder to get it. I think the percentages of recovering onside kick are 20 percent, 21 percent, something like that, when they're expecting it versus and, you know, a surprise onside, which is a much higher chance of getting it back. Um, that would have been a time I would have done an onside kick is to start the second half. Um, it, sure. Because Atlanta had all the momentum, it's a good way to you know get them back on their heels. Especially, they're you know we just kicked a long field goal. They're expecting the ball back. They've got their plays. They're ready to go run and do something. And they have to come up with their defense now. Uh, that would have been a better time to do it. Um, when they came back from halftime, Atlanta was getting the ball. They showed a film. Excuse me. They showed a camera shot on the Saints sideline. Mm-hmm. Drew Brees was sitting there. He was fastening his chin strap. And I said, I'll be damned. They're fixing to do it. I honestly thought they were going to try to do it after halftime. You know, if you go back to ambush, uh, he said that was the hardest part uh, because they knew they were going to run ambush. And um, Drew Brees had to keep his cap on because he wanted to go put his helmet on. Reggie Bush, I think, just said the same thing. He wanted it. He wanted it like he was ready to go run out there because they expected to get it. And they had to pretend like, you know, no, it's going to be a regular kickoff, and that's why it works so well. But, you know, it, I noticed that Harris never saw the field again after that, um, after he collided with uh, Tommy Lee Lewis. So, you know, he didn't get any defensive snaps at all. I think Peyton's attitude about the special teams at that point was just we're too bad as special teams to even risk an onside kick. It, it, sure. It's just one of those things. Um, any other questions of the week? <laughs> I, I think that does it. Um, uh, I had you know, one question asked last night. Uh, someone asked me who the uh, – who the, was the most likely candidate for the LSU job? And I said Sean Payton. <laughs> that was uh, uh, just before the half, I think. Yeah, uh, I don't think he would do that. But um, here, you know, that that that's that brings up another thing, and we could just talk about this real quick. You know, the immediate reaction to a a second straight 0-3 start, the immediate reaction to the way the Saints looked out there was, you know, fire everybody, fire Loomis, fire Peyton, Um, do it Monday morning, just like they did basically to Les Miles, you know, fired him next day. Here's the issue you've got with with an in-season coaching decision like that, where you fire a guy. It's week three. You've pretty much now torpedoed your season. No interim coach, even Jeff Fisher, but no interim coach really can turn a team around and basically audition to make a team work. Dan Campbell did it in Miami, and you know, they replaced him the following year. Um, yeah, you've basically destroyed your season, so you're going to finish – Three and thirteen or worse, you compete with the Cleveland Browns, the first overall pick in the draft, that whole bit. And who's going to be your replacement interim coach? Who do you think would end up being your replacement interim coach? The most experienced guy on the staff, the guy who's coached already as a head coach, 
everyone's pride and joy, everyone's favorite coach, which is part of the reason why they want Peyton gone. Joe Vitt will be your interim head coach, not Dan Campbell, Joe Vitt. Okay? So that's really where you want to go with this. You want Joe Vitt on the sidelines for the rest of the season, directing a 3-13 and team or worse. Okay? And I don't know how many people looked at Tom Benson last night, and I'm not going to go into the whole family drama, but they showed Tom Benson on the field last night, and he looked like he was completely unaware of where he even was. Um, and he, his mind could be razor sharp. I don't know, but it doesn't look like it. The man is 89 years old. Okay. I think he's 89. Could be 81. I don't remember. I looked it up. He was born in 1927, 89. He's 89. Okay. Benson does not like the kind of man who's ready to go through a hiring process, clean up, clean up the whole staff, replacing Mickey Loomis, everyone, and starting over again like he did when he released uh, Jim Hazlitt, okay? Oh, no, actually, when he released Mike Dicker because Loomis survived the Hazlitt purge when he replaced Mike Dicker and fired everybody. You know, that was 16 years ago, okay? Benson is not in that position. So who is going to make that kind of decision? It's not going to be Gale. Um, it's going to probably be someone like Dennis Lawsham, okay, who is Benson's right-hand man. Now, who who I, – I happen to know Dennis. Um, he is a family friend of mine. Um, I knew his mom and people like that. I don't think Dennis is in the position – right now to sit there and basically decide who's going to be essentially his partner slash boss uh, as a general manager, because you have to have a new general manager who would hire a new coach. Um, I don't think the Saints are in that position. And I also think that, you know, the Saints planned for this not to be a playoff season be, by making the moves they made, unload all this dead money that'll come off the books next year. They only have about eight million dollars in dead money next year compared to forty now. Right now, I don't think the Saints have had this idea that the Saints organization had this idea that they were a championship caliber team. I think they felt that we are a season or two away. We still have work we have to do. We have to build up more draft picks. We have to clear out all this dead money. We'll be in a better financial position in 2017 and 2018 to build, make a championship run. The problem you have, of course, is you've got a quarterback who's 38 years old going to next year. You know, that's the clock that's ticking. And Saints fans see that and they get antsy because, you know, it's too many bad years in a row. So it's kind of more like my extra point than anything else, but that's why I don't see a coaching change taking place this year. There's too many other things to go into. Um, how do you feel about that? What do you think? Personally, and this does, as you just said, this goes into my extra point for this week as well. So we'll just do our uh, our extra point okay. session right now. Um, there's a lot of people, and I have to tread ever so lightly here, um, I better take my cap off for this. Show my big five head here. Um, 
there's a lot of people right now that are calling themselves Saints fans that uh, are ready to jump ship and they want people fired and they want people skewered and they want people burned at the stake and they want guys cut and they all this and all that. Everybody relax. Injuries are a part of this game. And be it the New Orleans Saints, Dallas Cowboys, the New England Patriots. If, an, if injuries ruin your season, you didn't have the team that you thought you had to begin with. Okay. All that being said, this team is going to go on this year to win some games. And they're going to go on to beat some teams that they're not supposed to beat. I have absolutely no doubt whatsoever in that. Faith that you can have in a team that is being quarterbacked by Drew Brees. You saw a, a glimmer of that last night. Now, is that enough to say that this season is going to blow up and we're going to win 13 in a row and be the NFC? No. I don't care right now about being the NFC South champion. I don't care about the dysfunction in this organization, the dead money, the this, the that. I don't care about that. For me personally, the only thing that matters right now is what gets this team prepared to face the San Diego Chargers next Sunday afternoon. What concerns me is what this team is going to be looking at coming out of that bye week for the following game and then the next game. All that dysfunction and uh, the failings of accountability, that's all stuff that needs to be considered and dealt with in the offseason. Because if you do it right now, you may as well pull the pin on the grenade and drop it in that locker room. Because all you're going to do is blow this team wide open and everything that you've strived for this year, last year, previous years, is for nothing. You have wasted it all to, to call for someone's head in midseason. You're not going to accomplish anything at all. Maybe being in a position to draft Leonard Fournette. And anyone who knows anything about football at all, Leonard Fournette going to the New Orleans Saints may be the most cataclysmic of bad ideas. I love Leonard Fournette. I think he's one of the most talented players in college football today. He is not a good fit for the New Orleans Saints. Sorry. Well, you got people who uh, who who want a uh, they went back to the Jim Moore days. They want a strong defense. They want a power running game uh, and a quarterback who manages the game doesn't throw for 500 yards and seven touchdowns. They want a running back who runs for 300 yards and scores seven touchdowns. Um, you know, Leonard Fournette's not going to do that in the NFL. I'm sorry. Well, you know, and I'm not I'm not arguing in favor of Leonard Fournette becoming a saint because what they need is a pass rusher. They don't need a uh, a running back right, right now. They do need running backs, but not in the first round. 
your biggest glaring need right now is pass rusher. Um, you can only get that in the top of the draft. You cannot get that in the fifth round or the sixth round or whatever. You have to draft those kind of players at the top of the draft. Um, so draft I mean, them in the middle of the draft is what you have right now. Right. That's when you get – that's how you end up with – you know, and I'm, I'm not putting a man down, but that's how you end up with a Cam Jordan instead of a J.J. Watt. Uh, that's how you end up with, um, you know, a mediocre, not a mediocre, but a, a, a guy who is not a game changer. You need a game changer there. You need the Drew Brees of the defense should be the uh, defensive end, somebody who puts the quarterback on his butt, somebody who shuts down the run, somebody the, def- the offensive coordinators on the other side of the field go, what do we have to do to stop him? Because if he Absolutely. gets loose, if he gets loose, we won't get a damn thing done. And that's the kind of player the Saints need on the defense. They've needed it for 10 years. They have not been able to get it. They've tried, Cedric Ellis, they've tried, you know, with Cam Jordan, you know, they've tried with various players to do this and they've never been able to get that kind of player. That's the, the closest, kind of player they need him. The closest they've come to getting that kind of player was Junior Gallette. Now. Yeah. Well, I, I'm thinking about in terms of a disruptive pass rusher, uh, probably Joe Johnson and, um, Lori Glover, the last two Saints defensive linemen to to have that kind of impact. Um, outside of those two, you've never had you've never had as a defensive lineman, not the Dome Patrol, not the linebackers, but as a defensive lineman, you've never yeah. had that dominant guy. You had Wayne Martin, now, a quiet champion, but not a uh, not a dominant player. I will say this in defense of what I just said. On the field, uh, Gallette was a beast. Off the field, he was a psycho. So, uh, well, yeah, Gallette. Uh, my only problem with Gallette was he would turn it on and off. He um, he wasn't yeah. he wasn't an every down. We have to stop this guy. How do we stop this guy? Okay, so we only have a few minutes left, even though I don't know. I still see two people. One person may have been watching us. People probably wondering, why are you wearing a Chargers power blue jersey? Well, it's number nine. It's Drew Brees' jersey. Um, I'm wearing it because <laughs> this Sunday will be the first time Drew Brees has played San Diego in San Diego since his infamous injury in 2005. Um, yeah, because we play divisions every four years, but in 2008, we played in London. And then 2012, of course, the Chargers came here, and that's when Drew Brees broke Johnny Unitas' record. Um, so we have not been in San Diego uh, for Drew Brees to play in front of his former home crowd. Uh, so this is an important game for him. Um, I think, depending again on injuries, who makes it on this short week? You know, this is the game. This is a game Drew wants. This is a game not just because it'll be the first one of the season and going into the bye week. He wants it to stick it in the Spanos' faces. He wants it because it's in San Diego. 
He wants it because it's 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 an important milestone for this man because he'll never play in, against San Diego again. Uh, four years from now, I don't care if he's saying he can play until he's 41, 42. Four years from now, when we play San Diego again, we probably will end up playing in New Orleans. He will never get another chance to play in San Diego like this. So I think this is a critical game. I expect the offense to come out slinging it just like they did in the past few weeks. The only question is what defense shows up? Can this defense stop anybody? That's what they have to do. They have to get stops. They have to get turnovers. How about you? Um, it just depends. Uh, first of all, I want to <laughs> I want to see the inactive list. Uh, yeah. No, there's no doubt in my mind because I watched the Chargers play this past Sunday. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that we can play with those guys. Um, I think that Philip Rivers, and this is going to sound kind of ironic coming at this point in time, but I think Philip Rivers, after Matt Ryan, is the most inconsistent quarterback in this league. Um, and, and that can be for any number of reasons, be it su- supporting cast, defense on the other side of the ball, whatever. Uh, there's no doubt that uh, if we have – nail to do so that we can play with these guys and I like you alluded to uh, Drew Brees is going to be very very motivated I, I, I honestly believe that it, like you said it's the inactive list who makes it who makes the trip who comes out there to play you have to have Vicaro you have to have Tyler Davidson and I, in my opinion you have to have Danelle Ellaby out there you have to have those three to help out with this defense uh, arms I'm sorry. What what happened to Danelle Ellerby? He they made keep it saying, all, and you never you never heard. They about keep him saying it's a, it's a hip it's a hip injury. That's all they keep saying. They don't oh say anything more than a hip pointer. They don't know. It's I don't know. I have. I it, it's. I, I thought I read quad. It started out as a quad, and apparently it's a hip injury. I, I you know. Getting injury reports out of Sean Payton, you have an easier time getting Hillary Clinton's 30,000 emails that she hasn't found um, than you would, you know, getting getting uh, him to tell you what exactly is wrong with a player. Uh, it just doesn't happen. I'm gonna, uh, and that's, that's I'm the Bill Parcells. I'm going to give you the, the, the biggest ultimate compliment that I can possibly give anyone friend that I have in this world and the guy that gave me my start on radio Nick the prefer- the professor Nick Harrison I'm sorry I, I, I can't speak tonight <laughs> the professor Nick Harrison I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, bequeath that uh, that moniker on you from you are now the professor my brother oh great <laughs> I have a thorough command of totally useless information that's what I've got um, uh, anyway, I, I can I can relate to that. <laughs> I'm a master at trivia, uh, useless trivia. Um, no wonder anyway, you and I get along so well. That's right. That's right. Uh, and oh, I haven't thrown a good movie quote in here. Well, um, for those Saints fans who uh, are you know ready to jump ship and bury the team, you know, to quote Darth Vader, I find your lack of faith disturbing. Uh, 
be close. Let's let's just see what happens um, in San Diego. I, I I would be very surprised if they go into the bye zero and four. I, I they really can't afford that. They they need this game. It's just a question of can they get it, um, and we won't know until we see who actually shows up on the field. But um, until then, you know. Uh, Keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. Oh, wrong sign off. Um, let's uh, let's all be as positive as we can this week, and uh, hopefully see you next week on this episode of Under the Dome. Good night, everybody. Good night. You do not have an iPad. Don't touch the.